Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But only if they can make it through life without being bullied. What's behind the violent surge? To find out, stay with me, Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. My guest today is Dr. Michael Rich. Dr. Rich is an assistant professor of pediatrics at Harvard Medical School and an assistant professor of society, human development, and health at the Harvard School of Public Health. He is the director of the Center on Media and Child Health and director of the Video Intervention Prevention Assessment Program at Children's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. Today we're discussing how the media influences behavior, bullying, and violence. Welcome, Dr. Rich, and thank you for taking the time to share with us your insights at the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you. How does a kid get to be a bully? Well, this is a question that is plaguing a lot of parents, teachers, policymakers, and to a certain extent, physicians who see children who are injured either physically or psychologically by bullying. And it is an area that has had increased attention, both in terms of research and intervention, particularly since the Columbine and subsequent school shootings, all of which have been involved with bullying in one way or another, usually in that the shooters were bullied themselves. I did a couple of programs on video gaming and video game addiction. Are there any functional MRI studies going along with a bullying personality, talking about plasticity of the nervous system, differential development of different areas of the brains? Is there something different about a bully? Well, there have been some functional MRI studies done on young people who have various violent behavioral disorders. You know, bullying is not an actual diagnosis. It's really more of a behavioral pattern which can fit several psychiatric diagnoses. But that being said, one of the things that is seen consistently with kids who have behavioral issues and violence problems as compared to so-called normal kids is that they have a much greater attenuation of the sort of fear and anxiety response that most people have to exposure to violent media material. In other words, they see someone being hurt and they are less moved and affected by it than someone who is not a violent person. So we're seeing some indirect evidence that there are different ways that the brain processes violent imagery and violent behavior in those who are consistently violent. You're from New England, and I just have to ask this before we move along, and that is Bill Belichick. Is he a bully? I'm not sure what Bill Belichick (laughs) is. I, I know that he's arrogant. I know that he's brilliant. And I think only history will tell us how that all sorts out. 25 years ago, my son, when he was about 10 years old, wrote a paper on television violence and how it begets violence. There are now over a thousand studies establishing a causal connection between media violence and aggressive behavior in children. What are we doing? What needs to be done now? Well, I think that we need to start to look at this evidence not as something to argue about at cocktail parties or even in roundtables such as this, but as part of the environment in which our children are growing up. And just as we pay attention to the air they breathe, the water they drink, the food supply, we should be paying attention to the psychosocial 
environment in which they are determining how the world is and how one should behave in it. And we do have a lot of evidence. I would not go so far as to say it's causal, but certainly that there is an overwhelming preponderance of evidence that shows a strong association between exposure to violent media and violent behavior. But what's interesting is that there are three distinct, often combined, outcomes of exposure to violent media. The first is fear and anxiety, sleep disorders, and particularly in the younger children, younger children who see horror movies. I remember being terrified of the flying monkeys and the Wizard of Oz when I was young. And we all have sort of these moments from our childhood, which actually stick with us remarkably. The second after fear and anxiety, and something that affects all of us of any age, because we are indeed an adaptable organism to whatever environment we're put into, is desensitization. That violence between people ceases to have the same potency when we see it all the time. And the third, and most concerning to most people, but actually the smallest in terms of actual numbers, are those people for whom exposure to violent media seems to have a relationship to increased violent behavior on their part. Now, what is very interesting about this is that the bullying literature, the bullying research, shows that for bullying to occur in an environment such as a school or any group where children are brought together requires three elements. It requires a bully, obviously. Mm -hmm. It requires a victim, but it also requires bystanders. It requires the majority of people to stand aside and let it occur without intervening and often cheering it on, etc. And that these three elements map exactly on the three types of outcomes we see from media violence. So the question is, are we teaching our children from very early on where they are in that pecking order? Am I a bully, am I a victim, or am I a bystander? And we are, by the way we are choosing to entertain our children, setting them up to essentially evolve into those roles so that when something occurs on the playground, they know what role to fill, they know what their expectation is, even if that role is to be the anxious, fearful victim. That's a fascinating thing to me, which I really hadn't thought of in full terms, in terms of the observer, the passive one who stands by and watches. I mean, there was that horrible shooting years ago in Manhattan where something like 25, 30 people just watched out of their window as someone was murdered and yeah. didn't do anything. Yeah, Dottie uh, Genovese, 1964. Yeah. How do we teach involvement? You know, I certainly appreciate the desensitization. It's like the war in Iraq has become surreal because you just sort of report it as another... You know, sports show, as you had talked about earlier. But there are no flag-draped coffins. There's no Tom Cruise in the 4th of July. How this do is we quite have... intentional, you realize. It's oh, the, absolutely. The Bush administration has prohibited news people from Dover Air Force Base where they bring the bodies in, which many attribute the images from that as being the beginning of the turning of the uh, American citizenry against the Vietnam War. Well, of course, you know, we know the left-wing liberals control the press, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like, you know, if we don't change the medium, that we can't bring forward the message. I mean, I have a argument, so to speak, with our local infectious disease people. I practice pediatrics, and I tell them, you know, 
It doesn't do me a lot of good to tell people, no, you don't need an antibiotic for this because they'll go down the street and get it somewhere else. What we need is people of expertise, people of authority to go on the airwaves, go in the media and say, there is a crisis here in antibiotic resistance. Can we get a Bill Gates or a Warren Buffett to fork over a few bucks to have some truthful television program where when somebody gets shot, they're dead. I mean, you know, Shakespeare, not Jack Bauer, said cowards die many times before their deaths. The valiant never tastes of death but once. And I mean, Jack Bauer pops up after these unbelievable beatings week after week. There's no consequence. In the video games, there's no consequence. Isn't there any source of funding where we could put a message in prime time, on a major network, because obviously it's going to be hard to get a sponsor for this. But it seems like that's the only way we can make people see what we're doing is wrong. I wish there were, but unfortunately, we're dealing with the number one export industry in the United States in terms of entertainment. They have absolutely no interest in changing what they're doing because their metric for success is dollars, and the dollars are flowing. We are being seduced into this by, you know, a variety of things, including our sort of macho attitude of, you know, I can take it. And, you know, if you're tough enough, you can deal with it. But ultimately, what we have to do to change this is to change the marketplace and to understand that we are being affected by these things, that our children in particular are being affected by these things. And we have really no right to sit here and wring our hands about road rage and the mean-spirited nature of America and how everything's going to hell in a handbasket while we are going to, you know, Kmart and buying violent video games for our children or, you know, horror movies. So I think that we have to understand that we have to live consistently with what we want for an outcome and understand that everything has its outcomes and to look at it in a clear-eyed way rather than say, you know, I'm just entertaining myself. There's no harm, no foul. I'd like to thank Dr. Michael Rich, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing bullying, violence, and the media. I leave you with the words of Reverend Martin Luther King. Nonviolence means avoiding not only external physical violence, but also internal violence of spirit. You not only refuse to shoot a man, but you refuse to hate him. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and explore the on-demand and podcast features, which gives you access to our entire program library. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health.